In this edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk, we look at Samuel Tefera's amazing and bizarre world record in the 1500 meters. Plus, we tell you how to watch such a race at the in-laws. Lance Armstrong and another drug cheat were both at the Austin Marathon and were received very differently. 40-year-old Anthony Famigletti and a dog went sub-4 in the mile, and that's our thread of the week. We've got a look at USA Indoors, world records in the road 5Ks. We end with live commentary of Jacob Ingebrigtsen's big win in Germany and an interview with Jordy Williams, the pacer of Tefera's world record run. Before we get started, today's podcast is sponsored by FloydsofLeadville.com. Go to FloydsofLeadville.com. And use code Let's Run Feb 10. That's the number 10 to save 10% off your order. These are certified CBD products with the lab results shared on the website. All right, let's get started. Needs around 27 and a half, 28 seconds for the last 200. Who's got it in their legs? The world record time 331.18 of Tavera attacking around the outside. He loves the track here at Birmingham. He won a gold at the World Indoor Championships last year. Tafera is coming away. What's the clock? 3.31.1 is the world record. I think he's going to do it. He has. By a few hundredths of a second. He looks as though he couldn't care less. Tafera is thinking, what's all the fuss about? I've just won. I've beaten Kajelcha. Come on, give us a smile. Well, well, well. Thank you, Steve Cram, for the BBC One call. Samuel Tefera, the new world 1,500-meter indoor record holder. And that race showed everything that is great and terrible about track and field at the same time. Welcome, everyone. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Weldon Johnson, joined as usual by fellow co-founder Robert Johnson and Jonathan Galt. Welcome, guys. Hey, Weldon. Good afternoon. Thank you. I don't know about you guys. I was... At the in-laws this weekend, watching the race on my phone, I was excited about it. I thought the world record could go. I thought, like most people, that Yomi Kajelcha would have the best shot of breaking it. But we put up a piece today before, and you know, I mentioned Tefera in it because he's the world indoor champion. He's only run 331 outdoors, but a guy with that sort of talent, I think he can run 331 indoors. The indoor times aren't what, what the outdoor times are. The race lived up to the hype. I mean, there was really no hype about this race beforehand. And it came down to a thrilling two-man duel with Tefera kicking by Kajelcha the final 100 meters and breaking the world record. It doesn't get any better than that. And then Tefera acts like he ran the one, the, I don't know. I mean, JV kids get way more excited when they win a race than that. It was crazy. He didn't even act like he won the race, much less break the world record. And it sucked the crowd out of it they were sort of quit reacting and it was just really bizarre should we start with the reaction or the race first i think maybe we shouldn't let the negative get away in the race it was, it was a fabulous race thank you alberto salazar thank you yomi kajelcha some of the interesting stuff that's happening in track and field is because of those two guys they set up the race at milrose went after the record this one wasn't hype beforehand but there's one reason the world record was broken and that was Jelcha saying he wanted to go after it. So, and think of even go back to last year that insane five k in Brussels in the Diamond League final. Who's the guy who made that race? It was Yomif Kajelcha. Without him, really taking it on and really hammering that fourth kilometer, you wouldn't have all these guys running under 
13 minutes. You wouldn't have Salomon Borrego running 12.43. Paul Chalimo, you might not have him running 12.57, getting under 13 minutes for the first time. It was Kajelcha who made that race, and he's definitely, I know he's come up short in some of these races. He is a two-time World Indoor Champion, so let's not feel too sorry for him. But he he's made, contributed a lot of excitement to the sport over the last uh, eight months or so. Robert here joining the podcast. Weldon, first of all, when you're watching the race on your phone at the in-laws, are you secretly doing that? Like, are you like, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom for a minute? Or do you openly like watch the meet in front of everybody else and they think, what's this weird guy doing? I mean, do they know what you do for a living? They know what I, I was going to do for a living. So I, I thought I was going to time it perfectly. The brother-in-law is into paddle tennis and squash. I've never played either one. I played ta- paddle tennis, I guess. It's called paddle in the Northeast, apparently. It's really like a drinking thing, it sounds like, in the winter. And another friend of mine plays, makes it sound like it's an escape from the kids. He acts like, you know, I got to go play paddle. And they go and hit a few balls around and have a couple beers. But I think squash is more legitimate in the Northeast. I'm not really sure with these with, with these sports. I don't know if you want to call them patrician sports. I'm not really sure what is squash, how squash factors in, being a red-blooded Texan myself. But I thought I was going to time it perfectly. I went up to the brother-in-laws, and I thought, okay, I'll be in the car on the way up there. I'll be able to sneak in three minutes. And I got there, and next thing I know, the squash pro finds out that I'm from Texas, and then a cousin is there as well. He's never played. They want to set us up on a court, so they give us paddle, give us rackets and shoes and everything. And I walk out on the court. I just said, told the cousin Jack, fortunately, he's a cool dude. I'm like, dude, I need three minutes. And they're like, what? I'm like, I need three minutes. I got to watch this thing. They kind of started laughing, making fun of me. But it was worth it. I was like, this one could be a world record. I got to watch this. And I'm so glad I did. I sort of did a fist pump. And then I immediately called John Galt and said, you got this covered, right? You saw that. And he's like, yeah, you saw the race, right? You saw it. And I was like, yeah. So I didn't get too much to think about the reaction. But as a fan, it's so great. Yet the next day, there's... It's like a if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to see it. Two of our favorite track riders, Sean Engel, the Guardian, and Ben Bloom of the Telegraph, they're the sort of beat writers of track and field in the UK. They both had they had three sentences combined on the world record in the recap of the race. The focus was on Laura Moore, and she broke the British record, I think third fastest of all time in the mile from Europe. To Farah, if your reaction matters. If you're not, don't seem excited about the world record, then people covering it aren't going to be as excited and they've got other stuff to write about that more people are going to be more interested in. It's just kind of crazy. And then, you know, people are suspicious of today's age to begin with. They're not that familiar with Samuel Tefera. He acts like nothing happened. So are we all just supposed to be excited for him or with him or in spite of him? It was just pretty bizarre. Well, are you trying to say that they would have covered it more if he had celebrated more? I, I don't agree with that point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm saying. I just thought it was so bizarre because I didn't see that I was watching on my phone and I just saw the immediate reaction after, afterwards in the comments by Steve Cram. And then later that night, I went and put on the NBC Gold rebroadcast and they showed the crowd sort of, they showed the crowd at times and people sort of. They weren't that excited soon after because there isn't a reaction. So think of Tefera speaks great English. This thing is hyped up beforehand and he really celebrates. It gets more of a story, but I guess he's really some unknown guy breaks a world record. Maybe that's where our sport is right now. We haven't even mentioned him. Hisham El Garouche. He no longer holds all four indoor, outdoor mile 1500 records. He's still the fastest miler of all time, but he only has three world records. Scrub. Agreed. And then also, 
just with Tefera, you were there, John, last year at World Indoors when he won. That was in Birmingham as well. Loves this track. Great athlete, but not a lot is known about him. I haven't seen it, you know, his agent putting anything out about him this week. And I guess one could argue it's our job to go out and do everything. But we have USA Indoors. We have other stuff we're covering as well. At some point, I think our sport suffers just because people are content just to run the race and that's it. And there's so much more that needs to go in on it. Look, if you're a low-key individual, I, I get that's that's just how you are. And maybe I don't know. I don't know the guy. I don't know what he's like. I don't know if he would be more outgoing if his English was better. But I spoke to a couple of people who were there, journalists and also the PA announcer, Jeff Whiteman. And I think the thing that came up was the, the comparison. Haile Gebrselassie would run at the same arena and he would run back in the late 90s, early 2000s and go off the records. And Gebrselassie, you know, he had that. 10,000 watt smile. His English was good. He was into it. He was an excitable character. He was someone that fans, no matter whether you're from Europe or North America or, or Africa, everyone was a fan of Haile Gebre Selassie. Everyone was excited by him. And I'm not saying that Tefera has to be Gebre Selassie, but I think, you know, if Gebre Selassie had broken that 1500 meter world record on Saturday, you would have celebrated more. You'd be hearing about it more. There would be bigger stories. And so I emailed Jeff Whiteman, great PA announcer. He does a lot of the in-stadium announcing for meets in England. And he was telling me, you know, right from the start, we treated this as a record attempt. The stadium was completely sold out. Many of the same supporters have seen Gebra Selassie, Bekele, Farah run records in the distance races. So they genuinely know how to pump up the volume for a record run right from the start. He said the acoustics were excellent at the arena. And... He said right as he crossed the line, the world record graphic flashed up on the main scoreboard and trackside within a few seconds. We said that on the commentary as soon as it was confirmed on the computer. And then his next paragraph is what I felt was most interesting. He said, when any other record has been broken here, the party continues with flags, laps of honor, celebratory music, and one delighted athlete. When Gebra Selassie broke a world indoor record in Birmingham, there was a track invasion by Ethiopian expat supporters, one of whom broke his ankle jumping from the stands. This was not one of those occasions. The athlete walked off, the athlete being Tefera, walked off, off, walked off almost as if he had suffered a DNF rather than smashed an esteemed world record and immediately flattened the celebrations of the crowd. It was a real pity because there are, these are rare achievements. I had a five-pound bet with co-commentator John Rowling that the world record would go, and I was probably more elated than Tefera. It was a great shame and just a bit mystifying. Even the win should have been celebrated more than that. The Birmingham crowd certainly did their bit. So that was his take on the man who called the race and was in the arena. Pretty crazy. You know, he's calling it, a, what, a great shame? What's the exact quote, John? Yeah, great shame and just a bit mystifying. I think mystifying is, is a great, great word for it. And also, I forgot to mention, we have a guest on today's podcast, Jordy Williams, the second rabbit. The rabbits did a tremendous job here, and I think it shows it's a little bit easier when you have two rabbits. Or maybe not easier, but Bram Sam took them through... I think about 700 meters and then uh, Jordy Williams, the former Villanova star, Australian 1500 meter runner took him through just before a thousand. We stepped off at a thousand, stepped aside right before that. We spoke to him sort of what was it like to rabbit a world record, that sort of thing. When did he know this was going to happen? He had some interesting comments that you guys will hear at the end of this podcast. And John and Robert, you guys haven't heard this. I've sort of mentioned some of the things to you. But also, there's one part that does not make the podcast due to my own technical incompetence. My 
$120 Android phone could do a lot of things that my $1,000 iPhone cannot. And so it's a lot easier to record audio. But I don't know how to record a WhatsApp conversation. So somehow it quit recording the last couple minutes with Jordy. And that was the point. I just had some follow-up questions. We'd already talked about the world record. And I said, wait, did you have any interaction with Tefera before or after the race? Because he talks at length how he only found out about the record maybe one day or two days before. He knew he was rabbiting. And then a couple days before, he's like, yeah, the world record's on. And they said, you know, try to make it a thousand. He's like, you know, I told him I wanted to go longer, but then he realized it was going great behind him and they were on it. So he stepped aside. But his only his interaction totally was with Kajelcha. He said he never spoke to Samuel Tefera before or after the race. So it's just kind of crazy, right? A guy breaks a world record, his rabbit had no interaction with him beforehand because the rabbit wasn't designed to help him break the record. The rabbit was totally for Kajelcha. So thank you, Yomif. Thank you, Alberto. And Samuel, if you become a huge star, break a bunch of records and do some dances and stuff, people will forgive you. What, 19 now and world record holder and world indoor champion and outside of like the hardest core of hardest core track fans, no one even knows who he is. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, well, you keep winning races, your profile's going to raise and, you know, he's got, he's, he's already accomplished quite a lot at his young age. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he does this summer. Guys, I, need, I have a few things I need to say real quick. You guys have... have pressured me to keep quiet when not interrupt so i've been quietly keeping my mouth shut while y'all were talking i was watching the holly gabber celeste world records his 1239 i think 5000 world record he definitely had a huge celebration afterwards it, it was a sight to see you know one thing that makes me feel good guys you know last week i we had so much alberto love it was people think that we have a vendetta against him but it was a little too much this week it's great for me to see the time machine back to 2010 when the nike oregon project uh, run, runners are sort of reduced to rabbiting reminds me of that galen rupp race when he rabbited chris Zelensky to 2659 you know that still bothers alberto to this day you know that was your thread that had to be your thread right rojo and the two olympic medals have got to make him feel pretty good though like hey jerry you got any of these but and one other thing, I, I can't wait to the end of the podcast, Weldon. Did, can can you tell us? Did did you get to the bottom of the Jordy Williams controversy? Why is there a Z on his name? We need to know. Okay, this was not planned. You guys set me up perfectly because the two parts that got dropped off of the podcast at the very end, we were done. I was like, wait, two more things. I forgot. Uh, Rojo and John, what did me ask about the Z at the end of your name? They're like, is it a misspelling? What's going on? So true story, he claims. His family, I think, is from Sri Lanka. So he thinks somehow the spelling came somewhere in there it's from that side of his family. They're the only ones. There's only one family in Australia with a Z. That's his family. And then he said he was pleased to discover there were some people in America who had the same name. And he found out those are his cousins. So it's just his clan. I mean, who else can say that? Like, Robert, you and I are Johnsons. There's like a jillion of us. And there's no pride in being a Johnson. Bring back Johnson Pride, but Jordy Williams, Williams with a Z. One, one last thing about the record. Maybe one reason to fair, I'm kind of kidding, why he wasn't celebrating is the men's 1,500-meter world record is by far the weakest of the world record, indoor world records, 1,500 mile, which is kind of unusual because you think they would run a lot of 1,500s indoors. Um, I went and looked at, you went to Wikipedia and looked up, you know, the indoor 800 world record, 142. 331.04, 348.45 for the miles, 724.90 for the 3,000, 1249.60 for the indoor 5,000. And I looked up to see how many people have run that time or faster outdoors. 
62 men have run 331.04 or faster outdoors. Whereas if you look at the other world records, 800 zones, only 20 people have run the indoor time or faster. 23 have done the mile, but the miles, you know, again, the miles not run as often as the 1500. So the, the, the 1500 mile world records are definitely weaker than these other world records. The 3,724.90, only two men have ever run that. And then 1249.60, only 16 men have ever run faster than that. So it, 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 kind of surprising, really, to, to be honest, because you would think that you know, they run so many indoor 1500 miles that, that more more people would have done that. Speaking of mile world records, we had another one last week. Anthony Famiglietti, shout out to Fam, former roommate of mine in Flagstaff, ran a 359 mile with his dog tethered. It's actually a neighbor, friend's dog, tethered to him. Pretty impressive. That's all, This is also the Thread of the Week, sponsored by, actually we don't have a sponsor for the Thread of the Week, but this podcast is sponsored by Floyd's of Wedbo. And Health IQ. If you want to sponsor the thread of the week, let us know. But this is the most popular thread of the full week. There's some other ones coming in hot the last couple of days, but they haven't been up a full week. 40-year-old Anthony Famiglietti runs a 359 mile with his dog. It's pretty interesting, some of the discussion on there. And they've pointed out that guys have broken the 5K world record with a dog t- tethered to them. With a dog running in front of you, when you're in the air, you get pulled ahead and you can run way faster. Like guys who are 15-minute 5K guys can run world record 5K. It's pretty crazy i never even thought of that a 359 mile with the dog actually probably is not a world record so let me take that back i apologize to the other dogs that are run faster but this dog was very happy very excited fam was very happy and excited proper reaction so if we could combine the fam excitement with tefera's running or maybe the real question is what could samuel tefera run with a dog leading the way that'd be interesting because my so one of my good friends phil has a dog named Bekele. he named it because he actually found the dog on the same day Bekele made his marathon debut in paris a while ago back in 2014 and Bekele loves to run no surprise they put him on a track and had him follow a bike around he ran a 311 mile so obviously you know we, we know that dogs are faster than humans but was that a full mile or is that a 1600 meter <sighs> Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I think full mile. I'm not entirely sure, but you know, either way, way faster than uh, three eleven. But the interesting thing, damn it, I wanted my dogs yep. to break all the world records, and I would start registering them on Let's Run as like official records. But now I can't claim ignorance. I didn't know that somebody had read one, had run a three eleven. I would just run. I would have had my dog break the human record and say that was the record, and start keeping track there, which is sort of what happened in Monaco this weekend. We can talk about that one. And yeah, I'll get to that. Uh, yeah, no, but the interesting thing, I mean, I watched the fan video. I was on this thread. I was fascinated by it. I saw the video and I'm like, my first thought was, well, this course is probably short. Like, no way. This 40-year-old guy, I mean, he's been running track miles and has been running, you know, 14s or 420. I think he might have ran 4.0 maybe, but he hasn't really been coming that close. And he comes out and smashes it and runs 359 with a dog. I was like, this dog's going to be pulling him in all different directions. It's going to be annoying. But actually, yeah, it turns out you can run a lot faster with the dog attached to you. There's this guy in England, Ben Robinson, and he they event they have an event called Canicross, Canicross, like Canine Cross Country, basically, where you run cross country races with a dog attached to you. He says he's run twelve twenty four for five k in cr- cross country, and he's trying to go for sub twelve because he has a dog attached to him, and it's it's a pretty sizable dog that can just drag you. So this is. I, you know, I just didn't expect that the dog would make that much of a difference. I didn't think it would help you that much, but apparently it does. Cross country, twelve twenty four. 
Robert, he's with a dog attached to him. I need a video. Are these accurate? I mean, fam looked like it was on a measured, you know, bicycle truck. Weldon said a 15 minute guy can run 12 something. Come on. Like what percent improvement? I guess. Which do you think helps you more, the dog or the Nike 4%? The dog, for sure. If you go from like he's fourteen fifty nine to twelve twenty four, that's way more than four percent. Speaking of which, I don't think we talked about the Warmir controversy, and, and I think that is the natural next next level thing to talk about. So Warmir, the, the 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 hyped up event at the end of the Birmingham meet, and the one that got all the British press was Warmir's four eighteen mile, which I think is what third or fourth all time. It's a European record indoor mile. Um, you know, a really fine performance. Big crowd was into it. She was into it. But uh, I was really thrilled to read afterwards that the mark may be invalidated. Have you guys seen this? I did see it. I wouldn't say I'm thrilled that it might be invalidated, but uh, I did read the article. No, I, I, I'm glad that people are like enforcing rules. Like if you have rules, enforce them. People can say, like, it just it drives me nuts. So after the Nike 4% shoe was invented for the marathon, you know, everyone started wearing them. IWF, I think, updated the rule book saying you can't wear a shoe that's like not commercially available for everybody else because what if some company invented a shoe that was just way better? Then it would not be about who's the best runner. It would just be about who has this technology. In June, IWF Rule 143, any type of shoe used must be reasonably available to all in the spirit of the universality of athletics. Shoes must not be constructed so as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage. Sounds like someone needs to appeal this result or just sort of lodge a protest and the IWF will look into this. And I, someone needs to do this because. Oh, I'll do it. Can I do it? Turns out some pretty high up people are listening to our podcast. I'm not sure internationally, but if they're listening, this needs to be enforced. An asterisk should be put, put down by some of the results of the 2016 Olympics. Some people had a shoe that other people didn't even have the choice to run in and it well that was no there was that wasn't the rule you don't add rules to the fact right okay tr- fair enough that was not the rule then but i don't want someone winning any sort of race because they have a shoe that someone else can't get that's not what athletics is about for the m- vast majority of people whether you take a shoe that you have a shoe that someone doesn't have or take a pill that somebody has i 100 agree with you and this to me gets to, to sort of my criticism of the nike oregon project I feel like the spirit of Alberto long ago forgot the spirit of athletics. Just how it's not supposed to be about who has the best shoe. It's not supposed to be about who has the best thyroid doctor. The thread I enjoyed last week, really a lot on Let's Run, there was a thread about people criticized Salazar's athletes for going to see Dr. Brown, who has been reprimanded by, I think, USADA. But how come, you know, Mark Wetmore, Mark Wetmore, the coach, actually was the one who found Dr. Brown. And the Jerry Schim- some of Jerry Schumacher's athletes have, have often, I've also seen Dr. Brown. So it's interesting how many Americans sort of have been on some sort of thyroid meds. I think one of the responses that, that I liked, you know, was sort of, if you, if you find that thyroid medication can help you and you're sick, that's one thing. Then you double down on it and take it even when you're not sick. That's a totally different thing. The spirit of athletics, I think a lot of people have forgotten about it. It's supposed to be work hard, who who works the hardest, who's the most talented, who trains the smartest. It's not supposed to be who has some special doctor, who has some special gizmo or shoe. So she was apparently running in a a Nike prototype that's even more radical than the 4% shoe. It's like their equivalent for the track spike. But I read it. Have you seen a picture of it, John? Yeah, I saw a picture. It looks like kind of, I mean, the whole thing with track spikes, everyone's trying to make them as light as possible. These ones actually look, they look bulkier. It looks, it's not as bulky as the Vaporfly, but it looks bulkier. But my whole thing is like, are we, I, I do agree with you. These things, I don't want outcomes determined by shoes. 
But in this case of Laura Muir's spikes, do we even know how much this thing helped? Uh, like, if you told me Laura Muir ran a 418 mile, I would just say like, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Laura Muir is really good. Gwen Jorgensen at USA's last year on the track. Do you remember seeing her spikes? Well, then she had those, like, it was a heavier track spike. It was essentially like a modded Vaporfly with some track spikes in it. She finished seventh in the 10K in 32.24. Like, it didn't look like it made that much of a difference. Are we sure that these spikes even help? Oh, I think Laura Moore clearly can run a 418. I don't have a problem with that. It's just we need to set, we, we got to start enforcing rules, having rules, and enforcing them. What is the, I mean, don't, I don't want to get us on some sort of immigration talk, but if you have a rule and, and, and don't enforce it, you might as well just get rid of the rule. I, I just feel like they, they put this rule out there and then if we can't let people flaunt it. I, I 100% agree. I I'm not shocked that Laura Muir ran a 358 mile. Wait, Laura Muir ran a 358 mile? Stop the presses. It's weird. I subtract 20 seconds in my head. So I'm converting to 1500. Ran the equivalent of like a 358, 1500. The rule says they need to be universally available to all, and these shoes clearly are not. Now other companies are they're going to come out this spring and summer with their response to the Vaporfly. I'm kind of surprised someone hasn't done it yet. But athletes now, if they want to, and they run for a different company, can go buy Vaporflies and run in them. Tape them up, cover them up, run for Nike, whatever. It doesn't matter. But the shoe is available they're not exclusive to Nike athletes. Anyone can run in that shoe, so it's fair. I wonder if shoe companies could just drop the shoe like the day of the Olympics. No, it's available to all. I think the other thing is like other sports where there's equipment, they have rules. Like NASCAR has rules on the, what the car has to have. Swimming has rules on the type of suits, and we need to get there for running. Some of this is a Nike gimmick. But Nike's had a lot of gimmicks in the past that, that weren't advantageous, but a lot of evidence supports that this shoe may help people at least in the running up to about 1%. That's a big advantage. Now that other athletes can choose to run in that shoe if they want, I don't have a problem with it. But going forward, let's enforce this rule. So someone, please look into this record. And, you know, just I think it's it's a it'd be a great example. Just get it out there, make an example of it, and go from there. So other shoe companies, someone needs to file a protest, someone in the race, whatever it is. What I want to tackle next is uh, we talked about it, Weldon hinted at it a little bit. These world records in the 5K in Monaco, I mean, I woke up to an email on Sunday morning. I checked my email and it says, it's this media alert from the IAAF saying, world records broken in Monaco. And I'm like, oh man, wow. Someone must have, like, I knew Wanders was, Julian Wanders from Switzerland. He just ran 59.13, set the European half marathon record at RAK. I was like, man, I didn't think he had those kind of wheels. And it's like, uh, actually, he didn't run the fastest road 5k ever which would have been 1259 he ran 1329 because the iaf only began recognizing the men's 5k and women's 5k on the roads as a world record event last year it's this convoluted process they said if anyone breaks 1310 in 2018 which was the first year they're recognizing the world record that person would become the world record holder if no one broke 1310 it would go default to the fastest performance achieved in 2018 as of you know january 1st 2019 they would say okay the world record is whatever who the fastest time in 2018 was that was 1330 then wanders runs 12 1329 and now he's the world record holder except there are you know about half a dozen people who have run faster than him ben true's one of them alistair Craig who now works with uh, Tom Ratcliffe's agency. He was a great runner at Arkansas, ran for Ireland internationally. He's like, hmm, I'm the, you know, he was tweeting on Twitter and it was sort of a joke. Like he's the European record holder for the 5K on the roads at 1324. And he has a time that's five seconds faster than the world record. The whole situation is just kind of 
silly to me in one of those classic track and field problems that we have. I agree, but I guess they're kind of there. They're, they started a rule and they're enforcing the rule. And John, this record, this race was in Monaco. Have you ever been to Monaco? No, I think you guys need to send me. I haven't been there yet. This is a new road race as well in Monaco, the headquarters of the IWF. So if they're going to promote something, it's in their own headquarters. I'm sure they want to keep the headquarters in Monaco. Like, can you really blame them? They're human beings, John. <laughs> I, I can't blame them. If we're ever going to hype something out, like it's people hyping their own record in the, in the backyard of the Prince. They want to keep, they want to keep those jobs. They got good jobs. They live in a cool place. I don't think we should, but I don't think we should bash them. I, I think we need to get uh, employee 1.1 Steve on who often does the homepage and did the homepage that day. Like, he fell for it, put world record. Like if it was me, I would have made fun of the like Sarah Pagano had the woman's world record. It was like sixteen fifty five or something. No, it can't have been sixteen fifty five. It can't have been that slow. I was reading it and it said Hassan breaks the world record. And then once I saw the previous record was held by Sarah Pagano, then I knew something was up. I was like, now to be fair, you know, Wanders ran thirteen twenty nine. The fastest road race ever is Sammy Kipkeeter's. 13 flat. Some people call it 1259.5, but you're supposed to round up. So 13 flat from Carlsbad way back in the early 2000s. But uh, Sifan Hassan did run faster than any woman's ever run in a, in a road 5000. So hers is, is legitimate. I just want to say, Robert, this is fake news. The Pagano thing is fake news. It says Caroline Kip Karui ran 1448 last year en route in the Bruel Prague 10K. The, fact, the idea that Sarah Pagano was the world record holder in 1655 is just patently untrue but you say i'm a liar it was in the email no it wasn't i just opened the email i control f pagano not in there robert i don't know where, you, where you're getting this from this sounds crazy I, did i just make up something you probably read it on the forums why would i make up that i read that sarah pagano had the world record i know that the let's run forums you know generally they can be accurate sometimes but there's some misinformation on there from time to time and this might be one of the cases you might have been duped by your own website robert no, it was it was in the email. I woke up. It was early. The baby got me up. I would love to see this email. How do you spell her name? P A. Okay, here it is. I got an email. The email was sent from Joachim Loss, J O C H E M space L O S in the Netherlands. He says Safana San is a new 5K world record holder on the road. After a dazzling fast race, Safana San crossed the finish line in a time of 14:44 during Monaco Run. The former record stood at 1548, ran by Sarah Pagano from the U.S. That's what I woke up to. It says press release, February 17th, 2019. There's a please credit global sports communications. So I, I guess it's coming from her agency. Yeah, it's, it's fake news. I'm telling you, the IAF email did not say that. Folks, Jonathan's a young single guy out there. W- women, if you're listening and you're interested in John, just because he uses the term fake news, don't worry, folks. He's not a conservative John is a, is is liberal, so just I know some people dashed in this day and age. They are writing you off, John. If they think you're a far right winger, just letting them setting the record straight. All right, so we talked about my political beliefs and my uh, relationship status. Any other personal details you want to get into while we're at it? Big pay. How about them Patriots, John? Six time Super Bowl champs. We may have a let's run first today, also with a live commentary of the Dusseldorf meet. D- Dusseldorf, Dusseldorf, I believe, is the. I just turned it on. It's streaming live on YouTube right now. 7,000 viewers. Not bad. And in the Women's 400, there's an Inger Gribitsum from Norway. Is that a sister? They do have a sister. I'm not up to date on my Norwegian sprinters, but later today, Samuel Teferro will be taking on, I believe, now only two of the three Inger Gribitsum's brothers. The two best ones, though, Philip and, and Jacob. So at least it's we got that going for us. But we may just come back on and 
give live commentaries or live reaction just as a bonus clip instead of maybe doing listener audio today. Yes, because we've talked about how the reaction and anticipation is huge. So I want to get on a few minutes before, tell you my thoughts. I'm really into this race. To me, this race is huge. But I don't want to give my, I don't want to share my secrets now, so I'm gonna wait. So do we want to talk about USA indoors? I mean, we do have a national championship coming up this weekend in Weldon's well, not hometown, but adopted hometown. Everyone's excited, right? USA indoors, Staten Island. This is gonna be fantastic. Oh my gosh. Can't wait. No, I've always wanted to go to the Ocean Breeze facility. I'm actually very excited to go there. But a couple of things. One, and I've also always told my wife I wanted to go to Staten Island on the ferry and all this other stuff. But then from getting from the ferry to Ocean Breeze, it looks like it's quicker to take some express bus. I have a car. I'm like, I may just try to drive that instead because it's the weekend. It's not the easiest thing to get to. But this is an off year. This is a problem with the sport. Like, finally, some, you know, some trees and stuff are coming out but like this is not it's just not that great of a meet there was a media availability with noah lyles yesterday in florida and we almost sent john galt to that instead of going to world indoors and then we decided i'll just cover i'm the only one who's going to be usa indoors i'll just cover it on my own john you can take the weekend off sort of you know cover it from afar in boston and help with the race recaps because the, there aren't that many, you know, the sport needs to do everything possible, maybe tie in insurance payments or, I mean, some of the new world ranking systems maybe will try to do this, but they need to reward, like, I don't know how they were going to reward domestic meets, but we now have a dying indoor track circuit in America and the national championships in the off years are even worse. We have a 600, I believe a thousand and a mile and a two mile sort of weird distances of 300 it's hard for people to relate to that and not a lot of stars aren't that many sprint stars in america right now outside of noah lyles and i guess some of these young guys Sidney mclaughlin and others christian coleman we've got young sprint stars they're just not running this meet i take it back yeah they haven't run indoors oh making fun of the meet i'm i'm always excited for usa championship i think i think they tried to switch switch up the events a few years ago to be novel and stuff like that but it's not really working my complaint is a people skip the meet. Like if I was a pro and I was Jenny Simpson, like I would be bored out of my mind. Like, what do you do? I'll wonder, does she just sort of train like 60% or does she actually like train hard now, even though she's not going to race for like four months? Like I, to me, it kept me grounded to have like two marathons to focus on or two peaks a year to try to go on. Like I would be bored, not racing in winter. So yeah, I wish there was some way to force people to do indoors or cross country. <clears throat> Shelby. She is running USA indoors. We'll give her that. Right. So she, you know, she she's doing something to promote the sport. I I wish the sh- the shoe companies would just force people to do it. Then it would be easier. But but can we talk about the field sizes and John the, the big controversy? Give it to us. How many people are in the women's two mile? There are thirty one people declared in the women's two mile. Now that might that number might come down because the mile is on Saturday and there might be some people who might scratch because they're double entered. But They've already said there's going to be two sections in the women's two mile. And what I've been trying to figure out today, Wednesday, we might have some resolution on this by the time the podcast posts, is what they're going to do with the sections. Because right now, like I said, 31 entrants, it's clearly too big for one section. But right at the bottom of the entry list is Shelby Houlihan, the reigning champion, the best middle distance runner in the United States right now, and Colleen Quigley. They don't have times. Shelby gets a buy into the championships because she's the reigning champion. I'm not exactly sure how Colleen got into the two mile, but you know clearly she's one of the best 
at that distance in the United States. But I'm wondering, are they going to be in the correct heat? Are they going to be in the fast section that's on during the 2V window? Or are they going to be bumped to the slow heat? Because they don't have a qualifying time. I looked up the USATF rule. It's rule 166.5. And they say, if the last section has few... Sorry, um, i got to go forward. The sections shall be derived from the rank list of declared athletes arranged in order of qualifying times. Well, they don't have qualifying times. So how is that going to work? I texted Shelby Houlihan's agent, Stephen Haas. He said she's going to be in the fast heat. I don't know exactly what the rationale is that behind that. Obviously, she deserves to be in there, but I'm kind of confused. I'm reaching out. I reached out to Rose Monday at USATF. Hopefully, I'll get some clarification from her. But right now, it's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But it's possible we could have a fast heat and slow fast section and a slow section of a two-section final with the two best women in the field running in the slow section. Well, thankfully, it sounds like that's not going to happen. And usually we're sticklers for USATF enforcing the rules, but they usually have some sort of out. And this is that's got them in a lot of trouble. Let's say something like an Olympic trials. An Olympic trials needs to be perfectly run according to the rules. A meet like this, the rules need to be better designed. So something like this doesn't happen. But Shelby Houlihan needs to be in the fast heat. I think y'all are misinterpreting the rules. When John read the rules, it says they're going to be ranked in order of their qualifying times. But if you don't have a qualifying time, to me, that means you're the defending champion. And obviously, the defending champion, it's like a bye. It's like the AFC. That's true. You know, bye. To me, that person should be the, that should be the number one seed. The people without times are obviously superior. So I, I don't have a problem with it. I would like to see all 31 women in the same heat. It bothers me. It drives me nuts. Folks, ESPN Plus subscribers, I'm going to be making my ESPN Plus debut this weekend with the Ivy League Track and Field Championships. I'll be doing the color commentary. Of course, I've done ESPN three in the past, but this is my ESPN plus debut. But you know, there the, the Ivy League championships, they'll, they'll run a two two section final with like four people in one section, four in the others. I'm like, just put six people in the final. Four plus four equals eight, Robert. You can't put six people. I know. Oh, you're saying take away two finalists? Okay, I get that. Same thing with NCAs, right? They run two section finals in the sprints. I'm like, no, just. Do a one-person final of, of six, and the other, and you can still score eight. The seventh and eighth fastest times just score one and two points. I think the real question is why is the qualifying standard so slow that thirty-one women make it? Yeah, it's ludicrous. Or say, or say we'll go down descending order list until we get to, I don't know, max of twenty or something for a two-mile like. Yeah, the qualifying. And then if you get if you get lapped, they take you off the track or something. I don't know if they want to do something even like that. But why have a hard qualifying standard that's going to get thirty-one people in it? Just shows they don't. Some of these things aren't thought about, and everybody needs to think about how can we present stuff that is good for TV. Two per, two section finals are not good for TV. The the, the athletes probably complain about it because the hard qualifying time then lets you helps you make your travel plans and stuff like that. But you know if they wouldn't spend probably fifty thousand dollars like they did last week sending a team to the NACAC under twenty cross country championships, you know maybe we could send some of that money to, to the athletes. But uh, another story. I missed those results. How did, how did that one go? Was there a senior's NACAC cross-country? You bet your ass right? that was. Junior and senior. And, folks, someone has started a thread. I, I want to apologize to the Canadians. It, it was entitled something like, Found Something That Canada Finally Beat the U.S. In. The, the NACAC under-20 team from Canada destroyed the U.S., both men and women. But the U.S. team did, senior team, did defeat Canada in both the men and women. Yeah, that meet was in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, cross-country hotbed. I'm sure they got a lot of spectators out for that meet. And the winner of the race, does anyone know? I'm going to read off the name here. 
I apologize for not knowing this. Brianna Seraki. Has anyone ever heard of this woman? Wow. To be honest, I haven't. She's not American, right? I mean, wh- where is she from? Senior women's race, right? Senior women. Says she's American. What? That's what the picture, wow. unless the picture on the IAF recap. Yeah, she's an American. How'd she do at USA's? She got, all right, I'm going to give you her finishing position over under 15th at USA's. USA Cross. I'm going to go over just because you asked. I'm going to say under because. I'm going to go 14. Why wouldn't you want a free trip to Trinidad? I'd take a free trip to Trinidad if I was 12. She was 19th at USA Cross Country Championships. She runs for Team USA Minnesota. She is your 2019 NACAT Cross Country Champion. Good for her. Maybe we should get her on the podcast. I mean, she's beat like Natasha Wodak. I mean, didn't Natasha Wodak have like the Canadian record or something? So, Siraki, folks, is spelled much differently than it sounds. S-I-E-R-A-C-K-I. I may have mispronounced it. I mean, I, I'm, Brianna, I apologize, B-R-E-A-N-A. Brianna. I'm not entirely sure how you sp- pronounce your name. No, I'm fascinated. John, what if she's the next great American? And this is the, the origin story. The 2019 NACAC champs in Trinidad and Tobago. That's what launched her to the Olympic team. That would be a great story. I mean... I'm kind of shocked that Trinidad and Tobago, Tobago or Tobago, I'm not sure. Do they bid to host these things or there's some money involved? Like, I don't know. I, 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 it baffles me. The whole event, I don't really understand why it exists. But again, I, I don't blame any of these athletes for taking a trip to, team U- to Trinidad and Tobago wearing the USA singlet. I'm sure it's a great experience for them. I think USATF has got this wrong. They should promote this a bit more. We get a bunch of people to go down there on vacation. Sort of like when World Relays were in Bahamas. It's a nice trip. I'm, I've been dying to get out of Manhattan. The farthest I've been is Connecticut suburbs in the last month. So next year I'll be your NACAC correspondent. Well, what if they have NACACs in, you know, Hartford, Connecticut next year? It might be the USA's time to host. That's right. Hartford in the winter. That's what we need. Back to USA indoors, I think there are a couple events who I think that are kind of interesting. I mean, oh, the problem is most of these events, you've got one guy who or one woman who's probably going to win, and it means that the event's not that interesting. I mean, men's 600. Eric Swinsky's always good, but Donovan Brazier's in there. Donovan Brazier's going to win that race, unless it's a tactical disaster, which you know, not entirely impossible. Swinsky's a better tactician than he is, but I think Brazier's just way better. Well, we could probably get an American record, or that, that fascinates me, right? Maybe world record. World record would be on the table, though. So that you know, that's your one story. A world record in the six hundred. Again, it's not the most exciting thing, but it's a world record. It'd be kind of cool. Men's thousand. You've got Clayton Murphy and Robbie Andrews. If Andrews was in shape, you know, that would be a great race. But I think Clayton's clearly going to win that one. Women's a thousand. Couldn't Clayton get the American record in that? I mean, that, I think some of these off distances are interesting. If you can get an American or national or world record you guys really think brazier can get a 600 world record i don't don't even know what the record is but sort of without even thinking about it it's been broken like i think didn't kaz loxham used to have the world record it's been broken a couple years recently i think emmanuel courier and saruni were the ones breaking it so indoors it's not super strong but here's my problem why do we have a 600 and a thousand in an off year if we had an 800 and we combine those two events, you can get Murphy against Brazier, which was a great race in Boston, and I'm sure it'll be a great race again at USA's. Instead, both of them can do their own events. I don't blame them for this. You know, they, I think Clayton's a better 1,000 runner and Donovan's a better 600 runner, but 
why divide the talent pool when you're already getting weaker fields because there's no worlds? doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe so you can get a world record in the 600, which sort of looks good on TV. 114.79, Michael Cerrone, January 19th, at the Dartmouth Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King Collegiate Invite. That's the world record? If, if Cerrone's got the record, I think Brazier can come close to it. So that should be a good one. So that's the 1,000. Who? How many entrants are we up to in the men's mile? I checked over the weekend and... Oh, we have a. It was it was only about four guys over the weekend, but that was because the standard not enough people had hit it. It was three fifty eight auto standard. Now we're up to a, a normal size field. It's not a particularly strong event. I mean, if you go down the entrance, one of these it's probably either going to be Craig Engels, Johnny Gregoric, or Sam Prakel. Those are the top three seeds. I would say Engels. Uh, Gregoric was really good outdoors in twenty seventeen, world championship finalist. But Engels has been the best of those guys this year. Henry Wynn, Eric Avila, Josh Thompson. I mean, it's that's not a particularly stacked event. Well, you got a world, you got a world's final, a former NCAA champ, and, and then Ingles. I, I think that's that's pretty interesting, and I'm, I'm going Ingles all the way to dominate that race, folks. And you think you have to have a rabbit to run fast? I want to remind you, Constance Kosterfagen, Kosterhalfen, Coco, Co- Coco, please, Coco. Coco. Last week, she ran the all the European countries pretty much had their national championships. She ran eight thirty two. 3,000 with no rabbits. That's pretty good. Like she just, that's almost just outside the world all time top 10 indoors. So I think her PR was like 836. So she's, I mean, admittedly 3,000 is a little bit easier, probably than a thousand to run alone fast, but very impressive. Was anyone else disappointed by Ingalls at Milrose? I don't know. Maybe just because I'm in New York, I talked to him before the Norb Sander meet. He talked to big people were talking a big game whether he could go after the American thousand record. He indicated he was fit, but it would just go for the win. And then he said, you know, that might correspond to like a 350 mile. And then there was just like no attempt for a 350 mile. I think he ended up running 354, 353, somewhere in there. But it was, there was like no attempt. Whereas Sam Prakel, the guy who went for it. He hung up there for a little bit and then paid the price. But it was a very un-NOP type race. Most of the NOP guys, they go for it. I mean, your options, your options in that race were either go out in 153 and come home in two flat, or I think he went out in like 159 and came home in 155. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, it, it would have helped if they had a second rabbit. Yeah. I mean, he was, you, look, you saw what Murphy and Cesarek did. They tried to go with Kajelcher, and they, you know, they still hung on for second and third, but they, they died hard, and it's just it's tough. It's a tough situation to be in when the rabbit, like Robert said, the rabbit's either going out really fast or you're going to trail behind. I, I don't totally blame Craig for not trying to run 349 if he doesn't think he can run 349. I, I know Craig's high school coach, Chris Cat, and I texted him, but I forgot what the answer was. I said, how he was there at the meet, I think. I said, was it really depressing? Like within like a lap of the race starting, like you realized, like, I think he told me that the first 200 for the main pack, like with Willis and those guys, was over 30 seconds. So yeah, I think he must, he must have said it was depressing that like basically everybody else went with it, and then there was someone, no one bridging the gap. Fifteen hundred in Birmingham, Aussie Stewie McSwain ran three thirty five one national record. That's only three and a half seconds behind Kajelcha. He sort of went out just a tad behind him. So uh, there's a different, and that you know, ends up, that's faster than those guys ended up running at Milrose. So you could try to do it that way and hang on. I guess maybe that's kind of like what you're saying. What Murphy. And Cheserit kind of did, but I don't know. I feel like if you're Craig Ingalls, you're fourth at the Olympic trials, you're in the NLP project, you've got 
Clayton Murphy in the group. You have Kajelcha in the group. Usually they're not training someone to sort of go out and play it safe. I just, I just was kind of surprised by the race. I, I want to see if this guy can really step it up to the next level and taking it safe, you don't ever get to the next level. So the mile will be interesting to see how he does here, you know, cause it's a race he very easily could win. And you know, that can sort of once you're a national champion, change your outlook. All right. I want to move on to my road race factoid of the week. Weldon at the Zurich marathon in Seville, Spain, it's not the Zurich marathon. I think Zurich, the insurance company is the sponsor. Anyways, the marathon in Seville, Spain last week, first time ever five guys broke 207 in the same race in Spain. The national records for Israel and Eritrea both went down. And I would like you to guess the Israeli national record in the marathon. What is your best guess for that? I'm going to go high. No, they might have some like Eritrean or excuse me, Ethiopian immigrant or something. I'm going to go like a 209.47. Wow. I think John's already looked at Lewis. So I can't ask him. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty close. I mean, er, Israel is kind of where Canada was for the last 40 years until Cam Evans went along. 210.11 for Maru Teferi. I wonder if he was Israeli born. PB national record. And then also the Eritrea national record went down. Well, do you have any idea what their national record would be? What race is Seville Marathon? I mean, I don't feel like a 206. The old record? Yeah, 206 something. Yeah. Okubay Sege Gebrad Say. Veritria was fourth in 206.46. So that's the new national record. I mean, that surprised me. I would think Eritrea would have, you know, a national record certainly faster than 206 high. I mean, slower than Ryan Hall ran, right? Now, the thing that interests me about this race is, you know, Race Results Weekly, which I subscribe to. They list the prize money, and every week I'm just fascinated. I, I want to like take an agent out to lunch and just peruse waste results weekly and explain how this works. Like I certainly hope that these people got an appearance fee or something. Or why would you run this race? Fourth place, two hundred six, eight hundred euros, which is like nine hundred dollars. Israeli national record holder, eighth place, four hundred euros. So you can't make a living doing that. So hopefully there's an appearance fee. But then I look up at the Hong Kong marathon. Hong Kong, it's not even that hot. It's like I mean, I think it's like 65 to 70 degrees. I mean, it's not cool. It's definitely warmer than you'd like. It's probably... But Barnabas Kiptum picked up $75,000 last week for running 209.20. So, like, can anyone come up with a theory? Why would you run Seville for 700 euros? I mean, I guess the national record would mean a lot. But, like, the the sixth placer in Seville was some guy who ran 209.28 and got 600, 600 euros. Why didn't he go to Hong Kong and get close? He could have won. If he runs eight seconds faster, he could win $75,000. Anyone have a theory on this? It feels a lot easier to get to, and maybe they're bringing people in, the weather. They they have connections with the Seville Marathon, that sort of thing. And then what about this drug cheat marathon, folks? In the hometown of our parents, Weldon, tell people what happened at the Austin Marathon. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So at the Austin Marathon... The second person across the finish line was Mary Acor or Acre. Can't even remember how to pronounce her name. But the former Nigerian American, well, she's still Nigerian American, um, drug cheat, was she started off the race with with a 
covering her bib with a long sleeve shirt, whips that off, and they're like, oh my gosh, who is this? And they're like, oh my gosh, it's Maria Kaur. She wasn't in the elite field. And the race has a rule saying that former drug cheats cannot win awards. So she ends up crossing. The, she's kind of known for being somewhat of a dirty runner, not in terms of injecting herself, but sort of there's a thread in that's run. It's pretty interesting, like battling with people, cutting them off. So she cut off the eventual winner a couple of times. It's kind of getting heated. The eventual winner, sorry, it's not in front of me, goes ahead, wins the race. And then like within a minute, a core crosses the line, I think in 242 and second. And they're like, sorry, you're DQ'd. You're not getting any money. So I applaud the race for sticking up to its rules. And I guess if a race, I mean, there's a whole different section of whether we should have rules beyond the official rules for doping and what that does. Because what if, I don't know, Maria Core then wanted to like, if she ratted out everybody from doping and we wanted to reward that, but um, the race has rules, they enforce them, which is good. And then the kind of funny thing is starting in last place in the marathon, the big charity racer was the one and only Lance Armstrong. And a certain amount of money went for every single person he, who he passed and the money was donated for charity. So drug cheat Lance Armstrong is like officially endorsed by the race, given a huge prominent role with the money going to good cause cancer research, but up front drug cheat can't win, win the money. And I don't know what you guys think about that. I've kind of said, oh, I'd love to see Lance do triathlons. I could give a shit less. Hell, I could ride a bike for all I care now. It's, it's not running. But it's just sort of interesting, right, where people draw the lines and what they think is acceptable. And maybe because it's for a good cause and Lance is so tied into cancer, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. John, Robert? It's interesting to me because I, I still don't think Lance has paid a big enough penalty for what he did. Cheating and Drug cheating and cycling doesn't really bother me. Almost everyone was doing it. I mean, it bothers me, but okay, I can see why I do that. What bothered me was him using his cancer as a defense. Like I would never dope because of cancer. It's about the kids. And he became this larger than life, you know, inspiration to people. And it was all fraud. It sort of reminds me of like people like, Oh, but he helped so many people. I don't care. It's, it's fake. It's like, if you're on your deathbed, would you, I used to say this in college, if you're on your deathbed, would you want to be told that your wife had been unfaithful to your marriage or would you rather die thinking you had this purple marriage? And I was like, no, tell me, tell me, you know? So to me, it's a fraud. Wait, what, what's the connection there? A lot of people think that Lance, because he inspired people, it justifies it. To me, no, it's a fraud. His inspiration was built on a lie, and it's a lie. So I want that known, and I want him. He has hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars because of this lie. And I want to hear that he would have been that good. If he, if everyone was clean, he would, he would have been this Tour de France winner. We don't know that. People respond to drugs differently. What I want to know about this – oh, sorry, Robert, go ahead. But at the same time, I was going to go on a rant and bring up it bothered me that uh, Dwayne Chambers wasn't allowed to run the Birmingham Indoor Me- Grand Prix. They wouldn't let him run. I like Dwayne Chambers. He was honest about his doping. He confessed to it. He was banned like 15 years ago. They won't let him run in a meet 15 years later when they didn't have this rule 15 years ago that no drug teacher allowed him to meet. So I'm like, I was talking to Steve Soprano about this. I'm like, look, not only did he serve his ban, like this is 15 years ago. You know, if you're a felon, you come out of prison, they, they let you out. And then you generally serve probation for like three or four years. And then you're off probation. Like to me, Dwayne Chambers, how long is enough? But for Lance Armstrong, I'm a hypocrite. I'm like, no, I want him still banned. Now the charity races, I don't care. So that, that's fine. But it is kind of weird. You think, wait a minute. They don't realize the irony in this. They're banning the one woman, but they're using the other guy as an inspiration. 
Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like you're basically rewarding some sort of white collar criminals. Like your a-, a rod should never be on TV. Like it's wrong. Well, what I'm confused about here is she was DQ'd for being for being a drug cheat in the past, or was she? De- it was never really clear. I read an article in the Austin uh, American Statesman and said she was DQ'd, but was she DQ'd because she? cheated in the past was she dq'd for shoving during this race because i can understand if they have a policy of saying we're not going to pay you prize money because you're a drug cheat but that doesn't mean you should invalidate her results i mean she's not banned by any federation she's in the race she's signed up for the race not as part of the elite field but she got a bib like everyone else does this mean we have to invalidate her result can't we just say hey she finished second this was her time. She doesn't. She's not entitled to prize money, and leave it at that. What's the problem here? I see that, but I think it's against the rules to run with your bib covered. Oh, yeah. I mean, she. Maybe that's why. My I, thing is, I think it's just easier for results to say she's DQ'd. I agree with you, John. The result is not invalidated. She still ran that time. Just don't give her the prize money. I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah, I don't think she should be. DQ'd, she can enter and run the race. She's just not eligible for prize money. So I think it's kind of funny that she ran a full marathon, flew all the way down there and paid her own money and gets nothing. So, you know, and even the, who knows whether the long sleeve shirt thing was trying to prevent people from figuring out who she was to the long way in the race. And they figured they'd have to, she'd figured like, oh, they're not going to do anything to me. But no, they let her finish. And then they're like, yeah, sorry, you're not getting a penny. So I think it's, it's, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who cheated the sport in the past, but I do agree with Robert on the Dwayne Chambers thing. They put in a rule after the fact that drug cheats can't run the race. I think I would have been fine with him running. Plus he admitted it and that sort of thing. I think those people need to be treated differently, Um, but it's just different. I don't know. People do stuff differently. The other thing out of the UK is, they were gonna send. They were gonna send a t- team of one, I believe, in the sixty meters to the World Championships because they have a, a um, much stricter qualifying standard. So I think it was defending champion Richard Kilty. Is this correct? He wasn't selected, and then the Europeans are like, the meet organizers are like, we're inviting him on his own. He's a European. He's a defending champion. And I think this is another instance, like the guy's the defending champion. You're only going to send one per one person from the country. Like, I feel like British kids at home would want to see this guy in the race. At least when they're watching, they have someone to root for. He was the champ last time. Sure. He may not have the absolute qualifying standard, but you can send him. You're only sending one other guy, like send as many people as possible. Kids watching they in Britain want to see a British guy out there. Like give him a chance. It's good for TV. Always think what is good for TV. And the meet's in Glasgow. It's in Great Britain. The idea that they would, you know, there's not even an expense like, oh, it would cost extra money. I mean, I guess they have to give them a hotel room or something. It's ludicrous. They There's only seven guys who have run 660 or faster in the Europe this year. Two of them are British who aren't going. You know, it's just, it's ludicrous that they would impose this standard. Now you got this, you know, the, the president of the European Athletics Federation had to step in and personally invite him to the championships. And now he's probably going to medal. And, you know, I just saw British athletics had some tweet basically, you know, it was an excited tweet about them, how Kilty's been added to the team. It's like 
British athletics, I, you know, you're the guys who didn't want him running in this meet. And now you're acting like, oh, it's great that he's on the team now. You know, it's just, it's, it's the whole situation is laughable. Yeah, it's amazing. Just sort of country after country, people getting in the way of sort of doing the thing that's pretty simple. And I guess maybe you don't want to have czars running the sport, but in some ways if you have czars running the sport and they do it right, we might get a better product. But when you have these, I don't know, rules or discretion that can be used. I think the people who have the ability to exercise the discretion need to think about what is best for the sport. Is it good for this guy to be in here? Who's it going to hurt? He's qualified to run the race. They can select him. Like, why wouldn't you? It just makes no sense. Our sport is struggling for every little bit of attention it can get. Well, the crazy thing is like the controversy may get more attention. We're really struggling here in the sport. But, hey, we got a couple minutes here until the Dusseldorf 1500 meters. The women's 800 is going right now. Pretty good crowds at these European meets. And that was one thing Jordy Williams said. We'll end with the Jordy Williams thing today. And, you know, he talked about, I was like, why racing in Europe? He's like, the best races in Europe. Like, sure, there's a couple meets in America now, but there aren't a lot of fans outside of Milrose. And Boston has a few people. But, like, it was a packed house in Birmingham. I think 7,000 fans. This Dusseldorf Arena isn't that big, but it looks packed. They have good graphics, good entertainment. So Europe, there is still an indoor circuit in Europe, and there's, there's really not a circuit in the U.S. It's New Balance Boston's pretty crowded. Sold yeah, out. that's what I'm saying. We have Boston, Milrose, and USA's. Camel City. So, Camel City. Take it back. So let's talk about this 1500. And I'm really excited. We've got the two of Britsons and then Teferi, the world record holder. And to me, I don't know. I've just been on this rant on Let's Run for the last year. I, I refuse to anoint teenage stars, particularly on the women's side, as the next great thing. Like People seem to think like that Jacob Ingebrigtsen is automatically going to be a world beater because he's run 331 at age 17. And I'm like, that's not the way it works. You know, to me, it's all about how much longer do you keep improving? It's sort of that 10,000 hours rule of success. If he's been training at an elite level and he says he's been doing it for like 10 years, he may not keep improving as much. I mean, his brother, who's also in this rapes, Philip, I mean, Philip ran, he's 25. Jacob is 18. You know, Philip ran 338 in, in, in 2013. He's come down eight seconds since then. So from 20 to 25, he's come down by eight seconds. Do you really think that? Um, I, I certainly hope that no one thinks that Jacob's going to improve eight seconds by the time he's 25 and is going to run 322 or 323. I mean, that, that's not going to happen. Everybody's in agreement with that, right? Yeah, but your point, I mean, he's already basically world-class. Like, he was one of the 10 best 1,500-meter runners in the world last year, Robert. The idea, like, I'm not saying that he'll necessarily go on to be, like, the greatest 1,500 runner who ever lived or world champion, but he's already, like, it's not like he's in... I don't think he's going to flame out. He's already reached the top level of the sport. You know, the the question is, can he improve a little bit to get to become the best? But he's already made it. You know, look at Alan Webb. Not that Alan didn't have a good career. I mean, he made an Olympic team. He was world championship finalist twice, I think. Um, you know, he ran a 346 mile. But Webb was someone who just matured really early. I mean, he was balding in high school, and he so he didn't have that long of a career. Now, I would be tempted, I'd like to take the contrarian view to say that you know, maybe he's just maturing earlier. But then the thing that makes me think he will be perhaps better than his brother. I mean, we need to remember, folks, that Philip is, is faster. He was better last year before he got hurt. So that's why I was thinking he was going to win this race. 
the only thing that makes me think that that, that Jacob might be better is that I've read these articles in, in Dutch, basically, that saying that that the physiological testing for 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 uh, Philip, I mean for for uh, Jacob, is absurd. Like they've done the numbers, and the scientists have never seen anything that high. The Dutch press, or I think you mean Norwegian, right? That's a joke. Norwegian, yeah. Hey, it's could be a Google Translate, so either way, it might as well be Dutch, right? First mistake ever on the Let's Run podcast. It's never happened before. That's Robert's first of the year. I've had two mistakes this year. I'll, I'll be honest. Who do y'all have in this race? John in the preview thought that Jacob could give Tefer a run for his money. I thought that was bold, but the logic was, hey, he ran about as fast as Tefer did when he was unpressed, so maybe he can improve as much. I mean, I'm taking Tefera for the win. He's the world champion and he's the world record holder. Like, yes, I think he's going to win the race, but I wouldn't be shocked if he lost. Okay, and then who wins between the Ingebrigtsons? I'll say Jacob, but that's more because I just don't know what kind of shape Philip's in. Like, I think Philip is clearly capable of beating him, but Jacob, I know, looked really good running 336 solo in that meet in Norway. I think he could go, could go even faster. I think his father, I saw in the Norwegian press, it sounded like his father thinks he could run 333, which would be a fantastic run. Philip, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm going to pick Jacob. I'm going to say Tefera, Jacob, Philip. That's the finishing order in Dusseldorf. I think Jacob. How, how old is he now? Eight. 18 years old. He's going to beat the world record holder? I was wondering why you guys were hyping up this meet. I guess he did run 336 and trash everybody. That's pretty good. Phillips runs 749, so pretty much trashed everybody. So that's pretty good. I assume they're both going to run European indoors. So they're getting ready. Oh, my gosh. John's really believing in this. Well, well, the world record holder is officially 19 years old. Is it really that far-fetched that Jacob, who has run 331 outdoors could beat him i don't think it's un- i don't think it's un- and he he beat him these two the last time they raced world junior final last year in finland ingebrigtsen got second to Farah didn't even medal it's true he's got to be thinking like i can beat this guy right i beat him at i've beat him before i've run just as fast i was surprised obviously that Tefero won the race set the world record but in previewing that race i'm like i think he could win this race you know it wasn't outside of the possibility so I guess if Jacob's got the same PR, yeah, you got to put it in the same. I don't. Here we go. So I think you're right, John. What are you going to do here? What's going to happen if the, to the message boards of Jacob Ingramson breaks the world record here in four minutes? Oh, it's going to go crazy. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, Jacob's outdoor PR is 331.18. The indoor PR world record, obviously, is 331.04. So I guess it's not crazy to think that. I just don't see it. And, and I really want to see. I, I like to be the contrarian. I, I'm going to believe in, in, in Philip until he gets beaten by his brother. In terms of Tefera, why would he lose? He, he's undefeated for his life in indoor track. He's the world record holder. He's good if it's tactical. He's good if it's fast. Are you guys like, do you have it muted on your screen? Like you're watching some closed captioning of the. Sorry, guys. This is good. I got to give the, this Dusseldorf meet some credit. They just like dropped in a clip of Jacob talking about the race, saying he's in good shape. I think the production's pretty good. Usually they just go race after race. And I know Let's Run fans love that, but you need some buildup. You need to talk about the people, talk about the race. They said two teenage sensations squaring off. So Robert, John, I applaud you for kind of pumping up this race in the last day because I was like, oh, Inger Brixham's are racing, the world record holder or whatever. I just- well, interesting thing that John pointed out is they've never really ra- – the three brothers have never raced each other, well, certainly as adults. John said that 
that uh, Jacob was of age. I actually looked up the drinking age. There's no drinking age in Norway. You can drink whenever you want, but you can't purchase alcohol until you're 18. Well, lots of Europe is like that, actually. But they never ra- they've never really raised each other as adults. I mean, now obviously he's only been an adult for a few months, but the- oh, Sam Parsons. Every they day. just introduced Sam Parsons in the Dusseldorf race, and he had an American flag next to his name. Blasphemy. He is representing Germany now. They haven't gotten the message, apparently. What was that little gang symbol he threw up there, John? Do you know? Can you're a little younger than I am. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I doubt it was. A, I don't think he's gang affiliated. Is that is that the Tin Man Elite gang symbol? Philip is running out on the track. There's my pick for second, folks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll we'll bring you this one. Philip Ingramson has entered the track. Spank your little. You want to skip to the end? We have. Oh, he's got a tat. Has he always had that tat, John? Jacob. Yeah. I don't see any tattoo on his left arm. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a tattoo there. Young kid trying to be hit. I have it up on my phone, so the screen's not quite as big. Folks, you know, we treat the employees poorly. I have a double, I have a dual monitor, double setup, plus the iPad, I mean, plus the Chromebook. John's got just a Chromebook. Terrible. Everyone needs to get a TCL Roku TV. I have YouTube live streaming on my TV. There he is, the world record holder, Samuel Tefera. Oh, he's celebrating. He put his hands he up. He the crowds. This is good. Thank you, Samuel. One guy in Dingo did a single wearing Nike shoes. Okay, they're lined up. They're crouched yep. down. They're off. And they're off. Okay, that's good enough. You off. Have a second off. Okay, we're good. See here, All right, folks. This is the first live Westman.com and Jerry. Okay. What the hell is Bram Sam doing? He's the pacemaker. Bram's getting in third. He's behind the second pacemaker. Jacob, not in a good spot for the youngster. He's out in the back. He's running extra distance in lane two. He's in one, two, three, four, five, six. He's in seventh. He looks smooth, though. Smooth runner. What's up with the arm sleeves by... We didn't get um, a split. I did not see it. I hate the 1500 start because they're on the wrong side of the track. Oh, I always forget to. Same with me. I'll get a 300 split. Should I take it for Tefera, I guess? Yeah. It's like 42.5. So, so Tefera is the first racer here. Then we've got Philip. Bethwell uh, Bogan's in between them, I think. And Philip. Now Jacob's in the rail. 56.14 at, at 400 meters. They're going after it, man. They look smooth. Whoa. I'm what, like, was record I'm what are you guys watching? I'm watching um, Jacob. He's as smooth as hell. He's tucked in, but he's got bodies in between him and Tefera. Look at Tefera up there, man. He looks like a... They're right at 110. I mean, if they keep this up, we might have another 330. Folks, the world record is 331. Is it 04, John, or 14? 04. 124.78. He's got about a few meters here. Now this could be weak. If Jacob sits on the brother, just to commentate him, race people. So we're just giving like, our do you race your brother here? If you're 18, are you just trying to beat your brother? Or are you trying to actually race this field? He's trying Tepera's to race right the field. on the rabbit. Tepera's Tepera's trying to get around the rabbit. Let him go, go around him. Yeah, Tepera's going to go around the, the rabbits already. Som needs to get the hell out of the way, folks. We're 700 meters in. Som, yeah, the rabbits are bunching up. The the feet and the guys are gaining on Tefera. Tefera, one fifty four four at 800 meters. That was a twenty nine sixty five. That lap was not too fair, slow. folks. Ingerbrigsen's got to go out like cowardly, and then now they've caught up because the rabbit slowed down. Not cowardly, but oh, Tibet looks like he's hurting. Tefera is just—if he had a better rabbit, he would run for under three thirty one for sure. Look at this. So, I guess by the time this goes off, people have watched this race. He's got about five meters on the field with a thousand. Oh, that way too. What was the thousand? thousand. Two twenty four. I mean, they're slowing way too too much. What was it at the other one? Two twenty. Oh, yeah, now like, Philip has hit. Uh, yeah, Jacob's Jacob in the second, Philip. then Philip. 
Oh, wow. And they're catching to Jacob's folks. still there. We got 400 to go. Boom. In the time the final 400. About 150, 239. Oh, Jacob could definitely 400. win this. He looks good. You, as Tefera doesn't look good, John? Tefera looks good, too. Yeah, good point. It's not fair, though. Kajelcha, Tefera is now filming the role of Kajelcha. 253 at 1,200. It's hard to pass indoors. Okay, it's a two-man race. To the two teenagers. This is Boom. great. We got the two teenage sins. 308.72, penultimate lap. Jacob, is he wow, gonna, has he got anything on the back stretch? Jacob has already proved to me, though, he's going to be better than his brother. Oh, he could do this. Can he get there? Oh, oh he's coming God. up. He's closing that gap. I need to apologize to John. Are you guys ahead of me? Oh, oh it's going to be a great finish. Oh, wow. He's going to get him, I think. Oh, it's Jacob. <laughs> Jacob's got it. Oh, wow. Jacob for the win. We need to put an asterisk, right? Cowardly way to run. Go in the middle of the pack. <laughs> Thank you. He puts up a number one. He won the race. This pump. That was good. The new tattoo. Tefera looks like he's just set a world record. He looks so excited. Wow. He looks like, wow. Okay, this is what the sport Ru -Ru, I, I always have fans. Sport. I always have someone. This is what the sport is. You need someone to root for. I was rooting for Tefera. People were doubting him. Who was and doubting the? Who was doubting him? What do you mean? You were. You were. This shouldn't even been contemplated. Wait. What are you talking about? It shouldn't have been contemplated. He Inga Brixham won. Clearly, it should he have been contemplated. The world record holder. Yeah. Wow. Oh, we got to get a screenshot of that. Amazing. I think the Let's Run board is going to. If if it's back in the day, it would have crashed after something like this. That was a great race. Uh, two two great races. Really props to Tafara for running him back, back. Now Tafara, would he beat him if it was a rapid race? Better, I think he would have won. Just that he, he would have gone to uh, he would have run a pace that Ingebrigtsen wouldn't have been able to hang on to. I, well, think, I think yeah, I think a if lot it of been, energy, you waste a lot of energy. You go out that hard, it burns something out of you. And we know he's good at a rapid race. It's the same thing you see these Kenyans in the World Championships. They're great at rapid races, but are they good at changing gears and slamming down the last one fifty? Well, I mean, he won Worlds last year. His winning time at World Indoors was 3.58. I mean, he can clearly close. I mean, he got beat by a really good guy. Jacob's one of the best 1,500 runners in the world. Okay, that's official now. This is why the dad is so high on him. I, I'm buying into the hype now. I mean, I'm not buying the hype. I, I thought we should have this in one of our debates. Will Jacob Ingebrigtsen ever medal at a, a global championship? I think he could medal this year. Yes, he will. That kid is so smooth. He's the smoothest runner I've ever seen. After watching this, I think he might be one of the, you know, he is one of the best. He just beat the world indoor record holder. I think he might even be, he's already run 331. Yeah. You get under 330, there's not many guys. He's like Centro, but fast. <laughs> I mean, come on. Centro's the Centro's Olympic run. champion. Come on now. Well, then. Centro's run 330. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, right? Like, I think his. He's going to do better in a top end speed. Centro honestly is not showing the fire after he's won the Olympics. He's shown some good races, but like, is he really motivated to put it in day in day out to be the best in the world? I think if he and was, one, if he hasn't been able to stay healthy, I think if he wasn't, you know, maybe the fire isn't quite as hot as it was before. I don't know, but I think the biggest problem is he hasn't been able to stay healthy. It becomes very hard to put in a ton of work when you're not healthy. That's the biggest problem Centrowitz has had the last couple of years. Like he ran. Yeah, and you guys will hear, you know, like Jordy Williams is talking about Centro and like, why do these races? And he's like, Centro is the Olympic champion. He's one of the best racers I've ever seen. Like, you're trying to get experience, learn how to race better. And I think he sort of showed what's possible. 
And Ingebrigtsen looks like a great racer, but I think he might have the potential. He's so young to run, you know, super fast at 1500 and 5k. So, you know, a European kid, his brothers, he was raised a professional runner. And I think a lot of the guys who come up in Africa are sort of raised, as, maybe not as professional runners, but they're running their whole lives. They're at altitude. Not, people wonder, you know, is it genetics? Is it the altitude? Is it the lifestyle? What is it that sets them apart? Well, this guy's been essentially raised as a pro since he was 12. The Galen Rupp of Norway, basically. Yeah. And it's the sport needs this. Two teen, teenage stars. I liked how they sort of hype that up on, on the TV. And this is a German meet, and I'm sure there's not a huge audience for this. I guess, you know, in Eurosport, it's all in English. So I just applaud them. This was a good race. I'm glad we watched this. I'm glad we kept the podcast going this whoa, long, guys. Galen Rupp of Europe, that, that's insulting to, to Jacob Ingebrigtsen. He showed more personality on that victory lap than Galen showed in his entire career. I'm not talking about their personalities, Robert. That was a joke, a joke, joke, joke. Can we delete this, actually, portion of the podcast? Because I was rooting for Tefera, doubting doubting Jacob a little bit. And, and wow, I, this is why I was big. I was excited about this race because I think, okay, I said this race will show me whether he's really going to be significantly better than his brother. His brother has already won a world championship medal. So if we're debating whether he's going to win a medal, I, I think the answer should be yes. You know, after the two Kenyans, Managoy and... Um, Tim Chariot. Uh, Chariot, uh, you know, the other medal is right there for the making. If one of them screws it up. Well, guys, we had a little bonus commentary there, but I think that's going to be it for us for today. We have USA Indoors this weekend. The action will be followed live from New York. I will be your fellow, your solo correspondent for Let's Run.com there. John will be assisting from Boston. Robert will be on ESPN Plus at the Ivy League Championships. Damn it, that means more work for you and me, John. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to make it work if I can go to HEPs on Sunday, but then it's also USA's. And then there's also this BU. We didn't even talk about the BU last chance, chance meet where some of these distance guys are coming to run, <laughs> knock out the 5K standard and skipping USA's entirely. That'll be great. You want to hear a rant in this show? This meet shouldn't be allowed. They should not even have a meet the same week as USA's. They should not be allowed to qualify for anything the same week of USA's. It, it The IWF should... Al- let countries put in a rule saying you cannot qualify for worlds the same week as USA championships. If you're not at the USA championships, I agree 100%. It's terrible for the sport. Once again, what is good for the sport? Think about it. Some of the time it's hard to knock Scott Simmons guys, because those guys race a lot and that's very good for the sport. They're not afraid to compete, but there is no 5k at USA. So that we're going to run this race instead. I just wish they weren't. I wish they were at USA's winning the two mile. Put an exhibition at USA's if they want to do it. We got Jordy Williams, the rabbit of Samuel Tafira's race. He had some interesting comments, sort of what it's like to be in Europe, traveling in Europe. Also, he's got the unique circumstance of being out of Australia, where he only, as he said, about two months a year. If you love running, as he does, he says it's great. But some people, it's not as glamorous as you think. You're on the road a lot. But he got to be a special part of history, and he talks about that experience. Jordy Williams is next. And for Jonathan Galt and Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson signing off. All right, we're joined by Jordy Williams, the pacer at the world record by Samuel Tafera. Jordy, welcome. Thanks for having me. First of all, it sounds like you're on a travel from hell. Where, where are you right now? I'm at London Heathrow Airport on my way back to Melbourne, but we've had a bit of a delay, so 
just sitting around the airport for a little while. And you've got 14 hours till where? Till Sydney? No, we're going to Brunei and then from Brunei to Melbourne. So <laughs> something a bit different. Wow. People think uh, professional track and field is glamorous. We can get to that in a minute, but first, the world record. You guys did a tremendous job pacing. Bramsom took the first 700, maybe, and then you did the last 300. How did you feel about it? It looked great to us, but as a fan, the race was tremendous. And to have the upset win and a world record as a fan, it doesn't get any better than that. But none of that happens unless the pacing's pretty good, and you guys did a really good job. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I think most important thing was we stayed relatively even. If you sort of go a little bit too quick anywhere in there, it sort of ruins it. So I think it was really good and set up really well by Bram. I think he, he probably deserves a lot of the credit because he was so, so even those first, you know, three laps. So that, what that, that made it really easy for me. Um, but to be honest, it went so quick. I just, I didn't really have much time to think about it. I'll soak it in just because, especially on the indoor track, and you, you go on that quick, trying to keep an eye on the clock. It's just, it's all happening so fast. So it, it was pretty cool when I finished being able to watch the last two laps. That was really cool. So I think I had the best seat in the house. I was at the, you know, about 50 meters to go. So that was really cool. What were you thinking after you stepped off? I saw the sort of, clock going 220, 221, so I was just really happy I had done my job, but I had thought maybe to go a little bit longer, but when I realised there was two of them together, I thought best to just get off and let them race because there's a pretty good chance they were going to push each other better than I was going to tow them through. So I think it all, it all really went to plan perfectly. So, yeah, <laughs> it's cool. Look like with about maybe, I don't know, about 9.50 or something, you kind of looked back and you saw them there and then you went wide and let them go at it. Yeah, I had told um, Yomif before the race I would try and go 1,100, but I was only, I was told a K, but further if you can, but um, they were fine. I, I had faith they could get it done. They did. I was... At my in-laws, kind of this crazy thing, watching on my phone yesterday. It was a great race, and I saw him coming in. I'm like, oh, he's just going to miss it. I thought, uh, just, it was so great. I was so excited watching it myself. Be a part of it's pretty cool. Maybe take a step back. Like, how, you know, how does something come up that come up, come about? When did you know you might pace this thing? Who reached out to you? Sort of these things just don't happen on their own. You know, you've been in Europe for, uh, what, about a, a month now? Yeah, just about four weeks. So, you've been racing all over. You're in France, Sweden, Ireland, I think Germany. This one was in England. When did this opportunity come about? I definitely knew. I knew about it for a while. I didn't know about the world record till two two days before, maybe, maybe even a day before. But I, I was for a long time. I was going to pace this race because we had the two two Australian guys, Stewie McSwain and Ryan Gregson, trying to run an Australian record, so I was always going to do it for them. Originally, I was meant to run the race, but when the point system sort of fell apart, I didn't need to do it, and Nick asked me if I would pace it, and I said, yeah, sure. So I was, maybe for a couple of months, I've been, I've known I was going to pace it, but yeah, the world record attempt only happened 
probably maybe even the day before, I saw Kajelka's name on the start list and I was like, oh, that's uh, interesting. I thought he would have stayed in America and then found out a um, couple of days before, or well, the day before that they needed someone to go 220 and uh, <laughs> it's pretty fast, pretty fast. So I was, I was a little bit, you know, nervous going in, but I was pretty confident I could get the job done. So did you talk to Bram and, and the meat organizers and Kajelcha? It sounds like you did talk to Kajelcha a little bit beforehand, but like people want to know, like, is there a meeting where you guys meet or they just say, here's the pace, go at it? What sort of preparations behind the scene are there? My manager and coach told me there's probably a good chance I'll go for the world record. To be, to be totally honest, I didn't think that they would get it. I thought that would be close, but I didn't think they'd get it. And I think when I got to the hotel, as soon as I got into the hotel two days before the race, we saw Kajelka and he said 152 at 800. And that was as official a word as we'd heard at that point. And then the next day I spoke, my coach said to me, he had chatted with the meet director and he had said, yeah, we're going for 220. They're going for the world record. And then I chatted to Bram Som the day before and he was going to go anywhere between 600 and 800. I don't think it was, it, it was as official as you'd think. It was sort of a few broken conversations in the lobby <laughs> and uh, just a bit of a word word from above. The Spencer Barden, the meet director, just sort of said, this is what it's going to be. Get it, it done. <laughs> I feel better you didn't really know about it because they kept it kind of low-key and – Whereas Milrose was sort of hyped beforehand, and at some point, sort of Friday, I don't know, we were looking around, we're like, they might break the world record, we better get something up on this. Then we heard that you guys are going to try to go through it like 220 or something. We're like, yeah. well, if they can come close to that, there's a chance. We kind of thought like you, they might just barely miss it. Or I mean, Also, everyone was thinking, I think, that Yomif would be the guy who would win, but I'm like, well, Teferis, he is a world indoor champion, and... I'm sure just with that mindset, he's not in this race just to sort of spectate. So it was a really great, cool, cool occasion. Yeah, I definitely think they needed the two of them. Like when you start racing to the finish, that's faster than you could put go on your own, I, I think. Well, I know I would want to be in a race rather than time trialing. I think you can get quicker out of yourself definitely in that last two laps. So, yeah, I think... Alone, neither of them would have done it. So it was good that they had the really good race, and I think that's the main reason why the world record went. That's tremendous. I hope you got a big bonus. My claim to fame is I rabbited Paula Radcliffe to her first world record in the marathon. It's the most money ever made in running, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. You've got to have a claim to fame, right? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't nearly as good as you, so hey, facing women's world records, I'll take it. Unless you got more to talk about in the world record, let's talk about sort of where you are, what what you're training for th- this season, and sort of even like racing in Europe. I think a lot of them, most people in Let's Run are from America, and we follow you, and you were at Villanova, and obviously some of the Aussies we know well because you guys speak English, and it's just easier to follow you guys, but what you guys do is different. We don't totally understand, you know, how it works. And like right now, you know, you're on a 22 hour journey back home. It's going to be summer there. When you get there, it's just very different. I think the the craziest part is we've got to race an outdoor 1500 next weekend. So that's uh, probably a bit different to what most people in America 
would expect. You guys are it's Melbourne Track Club. Nick Bedo is the coach and the manager, right? I mean, sort of maybe giving me the real big overview. Well, uh, we, we've got sort of people that jump in and out from, from all over the place. And I'd say the, the core group of like middle to long distance die runners it would be five to ten in any given year, depending on injuries and form and whatnot. But pretty busy year for us. We spend a real long time away. I'd say just a just an average year. It might be January altitude training, all of January altitude training, maybe two to three months at home racing. If we don't go to indoors, if you go to indoors, there's a month in there in February where you'll be racing in Europe. And then we're usually over in Europe May until September, you know, and we might spend a bit of time, various training camps. We go to Spain. Sometimes we go to Mount Laguna on the way way to Europe. We spend a month there. So I think the real difference is it's a very long time away from home. I usually only spend about two to three months a year at home. But I think if you can get used to that, it's a it's a pretty cool I, I really enjoy. It. I know the travel might be a little bit daunting, but I really enjoy it. I like moving around and you know, I really enjoy the sport, so I don't really mind it. Mind the travel, being on the road and doing all the races and stuff. I really enjoy it. So it's a pretty good it fits it fits what I like to do really well. I mean, you got to be into running. You got to love it. And you got to love the travel. But I, th- I think a lot of yeah. people don't understand. Even the people, some of the people based in the states, it's easier for them. You know, they go to altitude in the states, but they're still not at home. There's still a plane ride. They're not with their family or whatever. Probably even those people are going to be gone six months a year or four months, yeah. four months a year. So January in January, you guys were in altitude where? Uh, Falls Creek in Australia. So it, it's it's about a Four hour, uh, four and a half hour drive from Melbourne. It's a pretty good spot. It's about yes, five and a half, six thousand feet. So it's not super high, but it's it's the best we got in Australia. And it's there's no track or anything, but it's it's pretty good running. It's relatively flat, and most most ninety percent of Australian distance runners are up there. So we all train together. Usually, usually, you know, good training, and it's it's early for us, so you just sort of find your feet again after the previous year and all that. So I, I enjoy it. It's good to catch up with everyone in Australia and spend a bit of time, you know, with pe- people you're familiar with. You guys have these, you know, outdoor races coming up. When are the when are the Australian nationals? They are in April. Yeah, they're not that far away. But why why do you guys then go to Europe and race? Is that because you make some money or it's just good experience? Like what's some of the – I mean, Stuart McSwain broke the national record yesterday. I mean, there's those type of goals. But why does the whole group or some of the group go to Europe? I just don't think you can get races anywhere else in the world like you can in um, Europe. Like I know there's, there's, a, there's, a few, there's a few decent ones in America, but again, 90% of the good racing is in Europe. So – that's why you go over there. That's why we go over there. It's really a great place. And we, we base in, in London, so it's pretty easy for us. They speak English. It's very similar customs and stuff there. So it's, it's easy, easy to live there. And I just think that the racing is just so good and it's great to be over there and trying to win. And you've got to think at the same time, 
it's winter in Australia. Not that our winter's <laughs> too bad, but there's just no track races. We don't have any indoor tracks. You know, you'd be doing road races, so it's just the way it's all structured and Nick's set up over there. It's great. You get an opportunity to do get involved with lots of diamond leagues and um, world challenge meets and lots of other little ones. And there's awesome stuff that pops up all the time, like, you know, the uh, Great North Run. And I know a few years ago, a guy from our group, Colts Birmingham, went and did the the sub the breaking two. And so there's heaps, heaps of stuff over there and it's just a bit easier to be in Europe, I think. Better than Australia anyway because it, it's – I think the hardest thing, why you need to be over there as well, is probably it's so far away. It takes you a good week or so to get adjusted. Like you can't just fly over, race the next day, fly home. It's just way too far. You just sort of need to need to be there to to be in it, really. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Your little indoor campaign. I guess you have a seven fifty five three k, three forty one for fifteen hundred where you got second. 148, 800, and then, hey, you got two-thirds of the way to a world record. You know, what, yeah. what, how do you view, view the indoor season for you? What were your goals kind of coming I, in? I didn't really have too much expectation on, on myself, really, where I think the way, the way our training group, like the way we train and work and stuff, it's just sort of we're about halfway to ready, but you're never too far away off being ready. So I uh, it, it was I really needed. I think I got better every time I raced, or you know every time I was on the track. So that, that's the main thing. Just you get a bit better every time, and we'll have our races coming up in Australia, and hopefully can go a bit, bit, bit better again. And by the time we're over in Europe, we're really ready to go. This year is different with Worlds later, but I assume making Worlds at fifteen is is that the number one goal? Yeah, I. Actually, haven't run the qualifier. My PB is three thirty six three, so uh, that's my main goal is to get the qualifier and worry about the rest of it later. So, I actually made it in two thousand seventeen. I made the championships on the roll down, so I was pretty lucky to be there. But I think I definitely made the most of it. And yeah, my big goal is just to get the qualifier and run it run in Doha. What is what's the qualifying standard now? Three thirty six flat. Now you're only point three off. You'll get it. You'll get it. I guess in Australia, what three guys probably won't have the standards. So if you get it, you'll make it. Like half the time, I don't understand you guys. How does the qualifying work there? If you do well at nationals, is that can that help you more than some other guy who doesn't? So it's pretty much like if you have the standard and you win, you're in. But then there's two other spots for discretionary. So like you have to get the qualifier, obviously, but they can then pick pick the next two. So say Gregson doesn't decide to do nationals and gets the qualifier, there's a pretty good chance they're going to pick him. Well, you guys got some pretty good guys with him, and it seems like Stewart's kind of doing the best of anyone right now. And I was reading something. Nick was saying he thinks he could – I guess Craig Mottram sort of was the standard bearer, right? And he's like that's the guy everybody's shooting after and – Stewart's the one I think who can come closest to that right now. Are you far behind him in workouts? Is he inspiring to you? How do you view it? I and mean, he's a little bit younger than you. What, what's is it a good rivalry or how do you guys get along? Oh, we're very different animals. He does stuff that I couldn't dream about in, in training, but 
myself and Gregson, we line up really well at training. We actually we work together like really, really well. So I do a lot of my training with him, and we're sort of I'd say more fifteen hundred specialists drop down to eight hundred. You know, it can go higher, but I don't think I'd run anything special over five k. Grego probably a bit better, definitely a bit better. Stewie is more like a five k guy that drops down. Right. So I think he's definitely surprising a lot of people that don't know him very well in the fifteen hundred. But I would think he can run three thirty two this year. And um, yeah, I don't know. It depends what he really really wants to do because. Stewie loves doing every event, so I think if he really focuses on one, to do something really good. But it just depends what he wants to focus on. Like he ran thirteen oh five last year, so there's no reason with the way everything's going, he can't run a little bit quicker. But at that at that level, you sort of need to need the race to go the right way. Yeah, for sure, it's not easy. Quickly, sort of turning. A lot of people in America know you for your time at Villanova. How would you say the American collegiate experience was for you? Coming from Australia, it's a little bit different. You were pretty quick before you came over here. I think you ran, what, 340? You ran some quick times here, never won NCAs. Like, how, how do you view the years at Villanova? It was awesome. I, uh, I got a lot out of it. I was. Um, you beat Edward Cheswick once. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had, had a few good races there. Um, plenty of highlights. Yeah, I think just it probably helped me a lot. With racing, you definitely don't get – I at Villanova, I know Marcus never really wanted to go and chase times too much, which was um, I was happy with and I'm still happy with because you sort of learn, learn to race and be competitive, like, which is at the, you know, major championships. That's that's what matters the most. Like, I know Centro's one of the best races I've ever seen and he won the Olympics, so it obviously – means something like there's plenty of guys that probably ran faster than him that year but hey he won the gold medal didn't he <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be the fastest guy you just got to be the f- fastest guy in that race so yeah but yeah i think I, I learned a lot while i was at villanova racing and marcus is a really good coach and he gets you ready gets you ready for the next step definitely whatever whatever it is be that running or not so i really value my time there and Definitely tell all these Australian kids to get over there. Hey, were you familiar with how good Marcus was as a runner before you came over? Yeah, I, I, I knew he was like really good. Like I knew he had a hundred sub fours or hundred hundred one, is it? And um, three fifty miles, not mucking around. I knew he ran three thirty two when he was three thirty four when he was old when he was about thirty four thirty five. So I knew his credentials. It's pretty amazing what those guys were doing back then. What what blows my mind is how often they raced. Dude. I know I've raced a lot since I've been here in the last couple of weeks, but they do that for a whole season. <laughs> Smash out like six races a month. Ray Flynn was telling me some story at Melrose that they ran a 1,500 outdoors in Australia on like a Wednesday. They flew to L.A. and raced a mile indoors on Friday. And then they flew to Dallas and Texas and ran a mile the next day on Saturday. The same five guys did this. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then they probably had three races the next week or, you know, and it's just crazy. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and it's not like they were, were running slow. It's nuts. Different, different breed. That, we've all gotten a lot softer since back then, I think. Americans, we think we're soft and you Aussies are tough. So you guys, 
It wasn't like Marcus O'Sullivan, but one, two, three, four, five races for you this indoors. That's pretty good. And this is Weldon here. As mentioned earlier, there's a little audio recording problems at the end of our talk with Jordy. So our apologies for that. He just explained at the end the family history of being pretty much the only family in the world with the Z at the end of the name and talked how before and after his world record run, he had no contact with Tefera. Pretty interesting, pretty interesting weekend, and we hope to have an interesting weekend this well from the USA Indoors. Signing off, this is Weldon Johnson.